All right, let's get going. Lots to cover uh, this evening. So um, what we'll do is, I'll do that, Alberto, thank you. Now we are. What we'll do this evening is Bert Hashem Chazra through the halachas of Pesach, particularly Pesach, and we'll get into the halachas Be'ezus Hashem of Chol HaMoed as well in order to accomplish this in the amount of time that we have. What I would like to do is just read through the halachos, go through step by step, hopefully cover as much as we can. Please feel free to chat any questions. I don't believe there's the option to unmute yourselves right now. I don't want to pause. But at the end, please feel free to chat any questions while this is going on. And at the end, we'll open it up to take, uh, to take any questions that people may have. So if something pops up in your mind, please jot it down uh, on your own paper or, or send me a text. We're going to go through a number of halachos here this, uh, a number of halachos here this evening, particularly... Uh, pertaining to this year where Arab Pesach falls out on Shabbos. All right, so let's go. Category number one is the month of Nisan itself. Prior to Pesach, during the month of Nisan, there's a mitzvah for every Jew to study the halachos, the halachos of Pesach within 30 days before the Yom Tif. This mitzvah continues through the Yom Tif of Pesach itself. Okay? So even if a person is learning the halachos of Pesach, we have fulfilled... This mitzvah of Shleishim Yaim, Kaida Machag, includes the Chag. The 30 days prior to the festival includes the festival. And there's a particular mitzvah not only of learning the halachas, but of learning the halachas around the holiday, the Yom Tif time. The Ramah uh, writes that, and this is brought down in the beginning of the Yerushalmi in Maseches Baba Basra, that there's an obligation to give tzedakah to the poor. Uh, poor local people to enable them to purchase things for their yomtev needs in a respectable manner. This is known as ma'oschitim, or in some places it's called kimcha de pischa, the flower of Pesach and the chafetz chaim, the great Rabbi Yisrael Meir HaKohen Kagan, um, who passed away in the early 1900s. The chafetz chaim warns that a person who refuses to contribute to the poor of their community <clears throat> have a tremendous sin on their hands. And the chafetz chaim writes this in the Mishnah Brura, um, and in the Shar Hatzion. Now, Rosh Chodesh Nisan also marks the beginning of the season of the, the trees where they start to bloom, they start to blossom, and therefore there's a custom to recite Birchas Ilanos, the, a tree, a blessing that we make over a tree that is starting to blossom in this month. This should be done by men, women, and children, and the bracha may only be said upon seeing a flower bloom that precedes the growth of a fruit. So we don't make the blessing when you see a fruit. Now, interestingly as well, it doesn't need to be done during the month of Nisan. Just usually this is the season when things start to blossom. Um, but if a person does not see a tree, a, a fruit tree in bloom during the month of Nisan, it is permitted to do it and, and with a bracha. Any other time that you see a tree when it when the uh, fruit has not yet ripened. This would particularly apply to uh, places such as Australia, which they have different seasons that things blossom in, right? They have a whole different season. So even if it doesn't happen to be the month of Nisan, that is also okay. During the, the entire month of Nisan is considered like a yomtif, and therefore we don't say tachanun throughout the entire month of Nisan. We don't say, whenever you don't say tachanun, you don't say the phrase of tzidkascha, 
by Shabbos Mincha either, or the Hiratzon after Mondays and Thursdays, Kriyas Torah. Sfardim also don't say Kel Erech Apayim. This is what's said by uh, when you take out a Sefer Torah or Lam Natseach. Sfardim do not say Lam Natseach uh, by Ashrei Uvalatzion. Ashkenazim do. We also don't fast during the month of Nisan. There are some people who have a custom to fast on a yard site. Uh, if the yard site falls out in the month of Nisan, then one should not fast. There is, however, it is permitted to fast in the month of Nisan for a tainus chalom. If somebody has some sort of dream, that a person has a bad dream that they're trying to get rid of, so one of the ways to get rid of it is called tainus chalom. A person can accept upon themselves a fast. That would be permitted to do during the month of Nisan. So that is the, a general overview of, of uh, the basic halachos that take place during this month. Next is Bedikas Chometz, which we're going to have this year on Thursday night, right? Because the, the night prior to Pesach is Friday night, and we don't do Bedikas Chometz on Friday night. So Bedikas Chometz this year is going to take place on Thursday night. What are we looking for by Bedikas Chometz? As we say every year, this is very important. We're looking for things, for Chometz, that is the size of an olive, Okay. If it's made, if something is very, very small, you have little, little itty bitty crumbs, that's not really what we have to search out for. However, if something is made very small, such as a Cheerio, a Cheerio is smaller than the size of a Kazaya, smaller than the size of an olive, but it's meant to be like that. So Cheerios or soup nuts, things like that need to be searched out. This is the halacha, okay? So search for complete things or things that are the size of a olive, size of a Kazaya. However, the, the prevalent custom is to search as carefully as possible for any sort of chametz. Nowadays, we, clean, we really do usually clean the house before bedikas chametz. Back then, they didn't have homes the size of, uh, that we have, right? So they would first start, you know, uh, moving things out a day or two before. They weren't machin sugar. They weren't driving themselves crazy the same way that we do. So nowadays that we clean the house before Bedikas Chometz, Rav Shmuel Kamenetsky Shlita uh, writes in his Sefer Kovetz Halachas that we don't need to do an in-depth search in every spot of your house. Bedikas Chometz does not need a thorough search. Rather, one is required to give a general look over for all the areas. Okay, so you give, I already cleaned out the area. Now I'm going to give like uh, a general, you know, I'm going to look things over to make, th- make sure and Nothing has been brought there. How should we, how should we search out for the chametz? So it, Rav Shmuel Kamenetsky writes, it is appropriate and fine, it is ideal to search with a flashlight. And he brings a proof to this because the Shulchan Aruch says that a person should not do bedikas chametz, should not do the search with a torch. You shouldn't search out with a multi-wicked candle because it could cause a flame. Nowadays, we're not so confident and comfortable when we walk around holding a candle. You know, we've got to be careful not to start a fire. And therefore, since we're not accustomed to using candles and handling flames, a flashlight is safer than a candle, and a better checking, a better badika is going to be performed. And therefore, it's lechatchila, it's ideal to use a flashlight, says Reb Shmuel Kamenetsky. However, there is an ancient that we do have this custom to use a feather, to use a candle itself. So he says, okay, so here's what we should do. Here's, here's uh, how we should practically behave with our, uh, with our bedikas chavitz. Here's what he suggests. Make the blessing, which is done prior. Begin checking 
with a candle for a minute or two, and then switch over to a flashlight. This way, you got in, you know, your candle, you got all in, and you're doing a much better checking with a flashlight. It is permitted for the lights to be on in the room as well. You don't need to search specifically in a dark house. Now, there is a dispute amongst the commentators. There's a machlokas haposkim, exactly when... Um, exactly when the checking the Batikas Hametz should begin. Ideally, we say it's Tzesak Ochavim, okay? 45 or 50 minutes after the stars come out. That, that's the ideal time to start checking for Hametz. Even people who generally on a Shabbos wait longer, you know, some people wait till 72 minutes, there's no Indian to wait longer for Batikas Hametz. It should be, the, the search should start, you know, 45 to 15 minutes after sunset. Now, many of us are aware that there is a prevailing custom to put out 10 pieces of bread for Badik Ashamitz. Ideally, okay, ideally, um, a person should make sure when they lay out the 10 pieces of bread to write down the exact location. We're not looking to hide more bread so that we can't find it, okay? The custom of putting out 10 pieces of bread, make sure to wrap it well in silver foil so we don't leave crumbs, but it's not a game of hide-and-seek. It's actually the ones checking for chametz can be the ones who put out the 10 pieces of bread. The purpose of putting out the bread is to ensure that it's spread out, and I'm not going to stop my bedika until all 10 are found. It's going to make sure that I checked throughout the entire house. Another reason for the putting out of the 10 breads is that since our homes are already checked, what happens if I make a blessing on my bedikas chametz and then I find no bread? I, did, I didn't find any chametz. So then it may have been a brachal of atalim. It may have been a, bre- a blessing in vain, and that's another reason why we put out the 10 pieces of bread. All right. A person should not sit down to a meal or be working a half hour before the time for checking. So if we're going to start checking, let's say the, the time is 50 minutes after sunset, we should not sit. You could snack, but don't sit down to a dinner. Don't be involved in work within a half hour prior to that because we're concerned that if, we, if we're involved in work or we're involved in a sit-down dinner, a person may then push off uh, the mitzvah. Now, you could do the mitzvah any time during the night. It doesn't have to be at that moment. It could be done at a later time. But as we know, there's a rule. Zrizin makdimin the mitzvos. The person should, should uh, approach mitzvos with alacrity as fast as possible. And therefore, as soon as a person could do it is, a pro, is uh, appropriate. Also, if, even if a person is learning Torah, a person must stop Torah learning when it comes time for the actual checking. Okay, so... Um, you're allowed to wrap up a sugya, you're allowed to wrap up a topic in, in Torah, but a person should not start a new topic in Torah once it reaches the actual time of Bidika. It is always better to check at night. Bidika's chametz, it's always better to do it at night. And therefore, if a person's going out of town, something of that sort, they're not doing it on Thursday night, it is appropriate to do, to do the checking the night before. Right, you do something the night before, as opposed to the day, the day before. It's always appropriate to do the bedikas chametz at night. Now, as we said, a person should make a bracha and do the searching, even if they know for a fact that nothing has uh, no chametz in the house. I already checked the whole house. It doesn't matter. 
a person does the bedika, does the checking with a uh, with a bracha. Now, since we said the primary reason for the ten pieces of bread is so that my blessing shouldn't be a blessing in vain, if a person's going out of town or they're moving out of the house and they're not doing a bedika the night prior, don't put out ten pieces of bread because no blessing is made. The only, the, the only time there's ever a reason to put out 10 pieces of bread is if I made a blessing. But if I'm ever going to do a search on a night where no bracha is made, for example, a night earlier or two days earlier, there's no reason to be putting out the 10 pieces of bread. Okay, which area needs to be searched? Only the areas where chametz may have been brought to. Rup Shmuel Kamenetsky holds that there's no need to check our clothing drawers. You don't need to start opening up all your drawers since it's not the derech, it's not the normal path, unless it is for some people, if you're hiding candy in there, or something, you know, or, or some cookies, whatever's going on in, in a person's pockets. But if a person knows that there's no chametz ever brought into their drawers, there's no need to check drawers for chametz. A person, however, should shake out their pockets from their clothing. A lot of chametz can get into, uh, can get into pockets. Also, Rav Shmuel points out, that you do not need to check suitcases as long as you're the type of person, as long as we're the type of people that make sure before the suitcase is put back into storage, into the garage, wherever we keep it, that there's no food in there. If we make sure there's no food in there before we back, you don't need to do badikas chametz on those suitcases. It is appropriate to um, open up various books or sfarim that possibly have been near a food table. Sometimes people read while they eat. Um, any books that one is confident in did not come into contact with chametz does not need to be searched. And this is true um, even if it would have only been small crumbs. Okay, Even if it would have only been small crumbs, uh, it, uh, so why do I need to search it? It's not the size of an olive. No, you got to search that kind of book. Why? Because maybe I'll touch that crumb with my hand on Pesach and it might end up in my mouth uh, or, in, or inside something else. And even the smallest amount of chametz we know is a prohibition on Pesach. Continuing on in these halachas of Bedikas chametz, it is highly recommended. Uh, it's not an obligation, but it's highly recommended to have a different set of what's called benchers, a different set of bricha samazon for Pesach, because you, very often those things are brought to the table and uh, they get dirty, they get schmutzy, they get chametz on them. Something that we've pointed out previously, a new development is that people eat while they talk on their cell phones or on their home phones. And therefore, anybody who's got a phone uh, protector on the phone, the, uh, one should remove the backing of the protector, remove the backing, and you'd be surprised at uh, what you may find inside of that thing. Um, uh, so just keep in mind, there's, new, you know, there, there's constantly new things that are coming up uh, of areas to check any area where Pesach Dika items have already been placed don't need to be checked because you know for a fact I wouldn't have put my Pesach item there if there's any chance that there was chametz there it's appropriate to check one's car for chametz very often people eat in their cars again if a person's sure they never brought chametz into their car so then there's no need to check but people who have sat in their car and ate a sandwich wherever it is so that's my property a person should make sure there's no chametz in uh, no chametz in their car. Okay. Now, what about areas that are hard to reach? Very often, chametz falls into hard to reach areas. So, what do I do with that? 
So any object that's difficult to move, a stove, a fridge, so on and so forth, they don't need to be checked underneath unless it has wheels and it's easy to move. Otherwise, if it's not something, your oven, your fridge, is not something that's easy to move, it's very hard to move, so then what one should do is spray that area with some sort of detergent, some sort of bleach, so that if there's chametz there, we know at least that chametz is ruined. And once, uh, once chametz is not going to be, it's not even fit to be eaten by a dog, it's not roi lachilatz kelep, it's not considered food anymore. As long as I spray that area, I've, uh, I've covered all my bases. Um, if you have married children who are visiting parents, so they're obligated to check their rooms with a bracha because now it's their living area. That's your bedroom now. It's your private space, and therefore it should be checked uh, even with a bracha. Um, however, a person who's going away to a hotel or to a host and they show up on the day before Pesach, like this, you know, if you show up mamish that day before Pesach, um, you should do a basic checking, but don't don't uh, make a bracha. Um, porches, balconies should be checked. Backyards do not need to be checked, okay? Because porches, very often, chametz is brought there in the backyard. Even if a person brought chametz there, you could assume that the birds or the animals made off with it. Okay, that ends the general idea, the general category of bedikas chametz. And again, if anybody has any questions on that, uh, any area of question, please chat that, or you'll ask me, uh, you know, at the end of the shear. But that ends the the category of bedik ashametz. Okay. Now, generally, generally, this year is going to be different. Generally, the day of erev Pesach is called the fast of the firstborn. This year, very interestingly, since Erev Pesach is Shabbos, and you're not allowed to fast on Shabbos, so it gets pulled forward. And we don't fast on Friday either, unless it's a Sarabatebes. So this year, interestingly, the fast of the firstborn is going to take place three days prior to Pesach on Thursday. This coming Thursday is the fast of the firstborn. What's the fast of the firstborn? All male firstborn children of either parent, if either I'm the firstborn of a father, I could be the third child of my mother, but this is my father's first kid. Okay? So even if it's the firstborn of a father or the firstborn of a mother, as well as even if a person's a firstborn following a miscarriage, all of, uh, all of these categories of males have a halacha to fast on, uh, on this year it's going to be Thursday. Now, the accepted minog, the accepted uh, custom has been for centuries that the firstborns don't actually fast. Firstborns are supposed to fast. However, if they partake of a se'udas mitzvah, of a joyous mitzvah occasion, then they're allowed to partake of that meal. And once they break their fast, they don't need to fast anymore. And therefore, the prevalent custom is that... People, uh, every shul will have this this coming Thursday. At every minion, they're going to arrange a siyum. Somebody who completed a mesechta, a tractate of Mishnayis or Gemara, and there's going to be a siyum that take uh, there's going to be a siyum that takes place. 
and any firstborn that attends that siyum is now permitted to eat and drink for the remainder of that day. This doesn't have to be a siyum. If you have a bris that day, a pidyon aben, okay, um, uh, uh, or, or any siyum, like we said before, uh, will qualify as a su'udas mitzvah. Now, even according to halacha, a person who makes a siyum after learning a tractate of mishnayis, it counts as a siyum. Usually the custom seems to be people make a siyum either when they finish a tractate of Talmud, a tractate of Gemara, or an entire set of Mishnah. But really, according to Halacha, if you finish one small tractate of Mishnah, that will suffice as well. There is an interesting minug that some people have. I've seen differences of opinion how prevalent this is. But um, a father of a firstborn son should also fast until the firstborn son is old enough to fast himself. So, for example, in our family, in my family, my oldest son is Yaakov. He is now bar mitzvah. Last year, he wasn't. So last year, even though I'm not a firstborn, I made sure to listen into a siyum on his behalf. The father takes the place of a young firstborn. There are those who have that custom. You have that custom, fine. If you don't have that custom, that is fine as well. Just uh, throwing that out there. Um, it also seems that if a person converts to Judaism, okay, it's appropriate for a firstborn who, uh, even if that person was not born Jewish, but they convert to Judaism, they also have the status of a firstborn Jew, of a firstborn who was saved in Mitzrayim, and it's appropriate for them to join in a siyum as well. And, by the way, a siyum does not need a minion. If a person's by themselves at home, you can make your own siyum. It, it doesn't need to be amongst other people. You know, you don't need a, uh, you don't need a siyum. You don't need anybody else around. It's considered a, a mitzvah party, even if you're the only person at your own party. Okay, that is the end of the category of tainus v'chorim, the general halachas. Anybody has any questions? Please chat it, or we'll schmooze about it at the end. Next category, and this is also going to be unique to this year, and that is beer chametz. Disposing of the chametz. Now, a person does not need to dispose of chametz. Meaning, if you don't have chametz, that's fine. You don't have to buy chametz to burn. Okay? If you have chametz, go ahead and burn it. All right? Now, one thing to keep in mind, this year, beer chametz, the, disposal, the disposing of the chametz, is going to take place on Friday. Although Friday is not really our Pesach, the time that you need to dispose of chametz, the end of the fifth hour, halachic fifth hour of the day, uh, the end of the halachic fifth hour of the day will be, um, will, will be the same time on Friday, meaning any chametz that you plan on burning should be burnt by the end of the fifth hour on Friday. Um, we're going to point out, uh, let's point it out right now. This year, we're still going to have chametz, however, right? Because we need to have chametz for Shabbos. Friday night meal and Shabbos day meal. And we'll get into that halacha uh, very shortly. When a person's burning their chametz, make sure not to pour on lighter fluid. Or else you lose your mitzvah. Because once lighter fluid is poured on top of the chametz, it's no longer fit for a dog to eat. So it's no longer chametz. So you didn't get a mitzvah when you burn it. So make sure not to pour on lighter fluid and just throw it in. This way you're actually... Uh, you're actually burning your chametz. Um, this year, since 
there's an interesting halacha. Since there's a halacha that it, it, one is not allowed to eat matzah on Erev Pesach, okay? You're not allowed to eat matzah on Erev Pesach. So we are not allowed to eat matzah this Shabbos. We're not allowed to. Therefore, in order to fulfill our Shabbos meal obligations, we need to save challah for our Shabbos morning meal. Because our Shabbos morning, we need two meals for Shabbos day. We're going to need a Shabbos morning meal and a Shalashudas meal. But we're not allowed to wash our matzah. Because you're not allowed to eat. So we're going to have to eat our meals with challah before 10.35 a.m. this Shabbos. Okay? So, obviously this presents a difficulty in eating Shalashudas in the optimum manner. Okay? So what we're going to be doing this year is as follows. We generally start Shachris on Shabbos at 8.50 and have Shochinad at 9.15. This year, we're going to have Shochinad at 8 o'clock. We're going to be starting over an hour earlier. Some shuls are doing even earlier. We're going to be having Shochinad at 8 o'clock, which should have us complete davening on Shabbos at about 9.20. 9.20 or 9.30, we should be out of shul. And the latest time to eat chametz is 10.35 a.m. Now, the Mishnah Brura offers two options for what to do this year as far as Shalashudas is concerned. Because remember, we only need to eat challah at the beginning of the meal. Once you eat your challah, the rest of your meal can be Pesach dik. It could be Pesach food, right? Your whole, you don't need a whole chametz meal. You just need to have wash. You can't eat matzah, so you have to eat bread. So, but then there's also a mitzvah of shalashudas, a third meal. So how do I, how do I work this out? So the Mishabura offers two options. Option number one is split the morning meal into two meals. Which means, you come home from shul, you wash your hands, you eat bread, bench, you can eat a piece of fish, a piece of meat, whatever, bench quickly, you're done your meal. Take a short walk outside, come back in, wash again before 10.35, eat before 10.35, and then you're ready up to your second meal of the day, which is shalashudas. And, the, and you just have a normal meal then and have a, you know, serve a kosher for Pesach meat or whatever it is. That's one option. Okay, again, you run home from shul, you wash, you eat a piece of fish, you bench, you go for a walk, you come back and you all do that within the hour before 10.35, Gavaldic. That's one option. Option number two is a lot easier. If Moshe Feinstein recommends, you know, he says this is totally fine as well. And he says like this. That really, according to halacha, a person may fulfill shalashudas with a piece of meat, a piece of fish, a fruit, an apple. And therefore, another option is you come home from shul, 9.30, 10 o'clock, you wash, and you're done with all your chametz. You have a normal, regular meal now. Take as long as you want. At some point in the afternoon, 
eat an apple, eat a piece of fish, eat a piece of meat. Nothing wrong with that. That's your shalashudas. Okay? And you're doing that actually in the right time because shalashudas ideally is supposed to be eaten in the afternoon. All right? Even, even the people who have a custom to make two meals and rush and do two meals in the morning, they would also, it's also brought down a they should make sure to eat an apple in the afternoon because ideally shalashuda should be done in the afternoon. All right? But bottom line is, this Shabbos, very unique, and these are going to be the two options that we have in front of us as far as how to handle our Shabbos meals. And that ends the category of beer chametz, of the disposing of chametz. So any chametz, just to, again, any chametz that we don't need for Shabbos should be disposed of, I believe it's like 11.55 a.m., which Torah Prep Girls School is going to have a bonfire on Friday from 10.30 to 11.55. You have a bonfire in their parking lot for the community. And... Um, uh, um, uh, you know, can, um, there's going to be a bonfire in the community uh, for for the whole community, and any chametz that we're not saving for the seuda should be disposed of by that time. Okay, that ends the category of beer chametz. Now we get to the Pesach seder, the lachas of the Pesach seder. Here we go. We usually prepare for the seder by setting up before Yom because you want to start the seder as soon as possible. This year we're not allowed to do that. Because you're not allowed to prepare on Shabbos for Pesach. Now, if you're going to sit at a different table, you know, for your Pesach Seder than you do on Shabbos, you could set up your Pesach Seder already on Friday if you want, right? But most people have one dining room table, one kitchen table, whatever it is, and you're not allowed to prepare on Shabbos for Yom Tov. So, um, uh, this year we're going to have to wait to prepare for the Seder. Any anybody, whether it's women, men, anybody who's going to prepare the seder before kiddush. Now, keep in mind what's going to be happening. We have Shabbos. The seder is happening Saturday night. Let's say Shabbos. So we're going to make havdalah during kiddush. Okay. One second. But if I'm making Havdalah during Kiddush, Shabbos isn't over yet until Kiddush. So how did I set the table in the first place? The answer is, we have to remember that even before, Havdalah, even before Kiddush, it is permitted for a person to say, it is proper for a person to say, Hamavdil ben Kodesh le Kodesh. Because you're going from holy to holy. So anybody who's going to be preparing the Seder after Shabbos, let's say 45, 50 minutes after Shabbos, when you were allowed to start preparing for the Seder, make sure to say the words, Hamavdil ben Kodesh Kodesh, And now it's permitted to start preparing the Seder, even though Havdalah has not yet been made. Okay. At the Pesach Seder. On Pesach night, every Jew is obligated in five mitzvahs. Two mitzvahs are biblical, nowadays they're biblical, and three are rabbinic. The two biblical obligations are eating matzah and telling over the story of Mitzrayim, what's called Sipur Yitzias Mitzrayim, telling over the story of the Exodus. Those are biblical obligations. The three rabbinic obligations are drinking the four cups of wine, eating maror, and reciting the halal. 
the second Seder, Sunday night for us, everything is rabbinic, right? Everything, because the whole second day is a rabbinic obligation. So the second Seder, everything is going to be rabbinic. But these are the five mitzvahs that we all, uh, that we all perform. The main mitzvah of the Seder is to, again, biblical, so we have the, we're going to get to the matzah, but Sipur Yitzhiyaz Mitzrayim, if you want to tell over the story of Mitzrayim, we want to tell it, if anybody, there's any children around, if there's going to, people who are going to be joining a Seder with other people, some people are going to be having the Seder by themselves, there's a mitzvah to tell over the story even when I am by myself. Okay? The mitzvah del Raisa is to tell over the story even when I am, uh, even when I am alone. There's a custom for married men or any men that used to be married to wear a white kittle. Okay, there's two reasons why men wear a kittle the same way they do on Yom Kippur. The two seem to be conflicting reasons, but both very appropriate for the Pesach Seder. Reason number one for a kittle is that the white resembles malachim. It resembles angels. Okay, so according to this, why are we wearing a kittle? Because it reminds us of joy. It reminds us of simcha. The second reason for a kittel is that it resembles shrouds, right? People are buried in white shrouds. And since we're conducting ourselves in a very royal fashion, we're afraid that a person may become arrogant with all the fanciness that's taking place, and therefore the kittel serves as a reminder for this. Now, according to either reason, I'm not sure why. I don't have an answer for this. If anybody comes across a reason, please let me know. I'm not sure why single men don't have a custom to wear a kittel. Because whatever it is, if it's, gonna, if it's a custom that men took on, so the logic seems to apply whether you are married or not married. You still need to be concerned about, you know, if it's joyous like angels or remind us, you know, uh, of shrouds. The women not to wear a kittel, okay, they never accepted that custom. But if men accepted the custom of wearing it, why only men? Maybe only married men accepted it? Not sure. Not sure. I don't have a, I don't have a great answer. But it's, uh, it's something interesting to think about. Okay. Now, because one of the reasons for a kittel is that it represents royalty, there are those who have a custom that when somebody is in their year of mourning, they don't wear a kittel. Okay? Because they, don't, they, shouldn't, represent, uh, they shouldn't represent royalty. Now, practically speaking, everybody should do What's, uh, what's appropriate, whatever their, their family uh, custom is. You know, if it's not going to be a big statement, there's, a, there's another halacha that you're not allowed to publicly mourn. So, you know, maybe, you know, what, what might be an option is, here is if a person's having their own Seder and it's not going to be so noticeable whether or not they wear a kittel, so then, and, and they're in a year of mourning, maybe it's not worthwhile wearing a kittel um, because you're in Avelis. But if, if uh, somebody has a lot of, if they're sitting around with a lot of people and it's going to be very noticeable, so that might be considered public mourning. You know, so maybe a person should wear a kittel then. Okay, fine. Um, you know, each person can ask uh, their own shaila about, uh, about their own situation. All right, so that deals with the preparation of the Pesach Seder. Now we get into the meat and potatoes of the Pesach Seder itself. And I see a number of people have been chatting me uh, questions. Please continue to do so. We're going to go through all the questions uh, once we complete this. Okay. So we're sitting by the Seder. 
The minute gives the customers to begin by singing the Seder. Everybody's got their own tune. Everybody's got their own tune that they sing it to. It's a, it's a real minuk to sing it out loud. It's kind of like a program. Everybody should know what's coming. Yeah, you should know uh, you should know what's coming next. And interestingly, the word seder means order. So it's very interesting that at the seder, where things are supposed to run in order, we sing the order out loud before we start. It's a very peculiar word for such a holy night like this. You know, seder order. Like what's that about? So yeah, Hakadosh Baruch Hu has the world in order, and there's a set, there, there's a sequence to how the seder runs. Those of us who have had the merit to learn Dafyomi have have noticed recently that the first part of the seder represents Yitzias Mitzrayim, and once you get to the meal and move onwards, it, the the seder starts to bring us to the coming of Mashiach, you know, to our own uh, exodus that that we're God willing all going to have together. After reciting the order of the Seder out loud, we recite Kiddush, okay? Now, Kiddush is also the first of the four cups. We have four cups to represent the four stages of freedom. The Haitsesi, Hashem says, I'll take you out. The Yitzalti, I will save you. The Ga'alti, um, uh, I will redeem you. The Lakakti, and I will take you for me as a person. I'll take you for me as a nation. Each person should have their own cup. Usually at Kiddush, one person could drink for everybody. At the Pesach Seder, since it's the first of the four cups, everybody should have their uh, their own cup. All men, women, and children need to drink because this is the this is the mitzvah. Okay. Now in Kiddush, follow your machzer, but notice that there's going to be havdalah for Shabbos built into the Kiddush as well. Um, women who light the yomtiv candles. So at the time that they light the Yom Tev candles, or any men who are lighting, they make the bracha of Shehechiyonu. On the holiday, they make the bracha of Shehechiyonu. So at Kiddush, when everybody says, some people, everybody says the Kiddush out loud together. Other people have the minog that one person says it out loud while everybody holds the cup. Whatever the custom is, a woman should remember, I already made the blessing of Shehechiyonu. So if, you're, if a woman's now standing at Kiddush, and all the and everybody else is reciting Shachianu, don't make that blessing. You already said it when you lit candles. You can answer Amen. Rav Meisha Feinstein holds you can answer Amen. It's not considered a hefsik. Answer Amen to the bracha. But the bracha itself, if a person already recited it over candles, should not be made at Kiddush. All right, here's the important part. Uh, it's all important, but here's the important part that a lot of questions come up with, and that is, how much wine do I have to drink? So we usually speak this out on Shabbos and people can't write this down. Now you've got your pens and papers. We're on Zoom. Here we go. How much do you need a drink? So according to Rabbi Heinemann Shlita from the Starkei, he says like this. A Kiddush cup has to be 3.8 ounces. That's how much wine it has to hold. Okay, it has to be 3.8 ounces. The mitzvah of drinking the cup is not drinking the whole cup. You only have to drink a majority of 3.8 ounces, which means I need to drink for each cup 1.9 to 2 ounces for each of the four cups. Rav Misha Feinstein gives a little bit of a bigger measurement. Right? I said for Heinemann is 3.8 ounces. Rav Misha Feinstein gives a bigger measurement. He says the cup shall hold 4.4 ounces. Okay? 
for the Dior Raisa or 4.2 in general. According to Rabbi Feinstein, you need 1.5 to drink. Okay? So there's no reason. Here's the, here's the bottom line. There's no reason for the four cups of wine to knock us out and make us tired. There's really no excuse. I only need to drink two ounces per cup. At the end of the entire Suda, all I needed to drink to fulfill my obligation was a total of eight ounces. Okay? Now, we've said this numerous times. Shmuel Kamenetsky writes, Nowadays, drinking red or purple grape juice is just as lichatchila, is just as ideal as drinking red wine. Grape juice nowadays is just as fine as drinking red wine, he says. If a person is drinking wine, however, if a person is drinking wine, it's got to be at least 4% alcohol. Otherwise, it's not, it's not called wine. All right? So it's got to be a minimum of 4% alcohol. So for, uh, for health reasons, okay, so they have all these light wines that people can use. And you take this, these light wines and drink two ounces per cup, hakol besed. You know I mean? You're good to go. What if a person has health issues? Hard time with sugar levels, okay? Diabetes, grape juice, with wine. How do we handle this? So, for health reasons, you're allowed to dilute the wine with the following maximum ratios. You're allowed to do one-third of a cup wine to two-thirds of a cup diluted in either grape juice or water. So one-third cup wine can be diluted in two-thirds grape juice or water. But again, keep in mind, the alcohol content must be no less than 4%. So for example, if you have 10% wine, alcohol, 10% alcoholic wine, make a mixture of 40% of that wine, 60% water, you'll still have 4% alcohol content. You get the math? Because it was 10% wine. So now I'm taking 40% of this, 10% of that, uh, uh, 60% of the 60% of the, the water, and now I have 4% alcohol, and then what do I do? I take, uh, I, I take that diluted cup and I drink 2 ounces. That's all I need to do. Okay. Now, those are the measurements of each of the four cups. It is ideal, it is preferable to drink the Rive Kais, the Rive Revius, okay? Uh, it is preferable to drink this amount in, at, uh, at one time. But if a person is not able to drink this amount at one time, for whatever reason, they need to sip it, for whatever, you know, for, for various reasons... So it has to be put down, has to be drunk, which the post can discuss between two minutes or nine minutes. Anywhere between two minutes and nine minutes is enough to drink that two ounces. Um, it, uh, apparently, the Star K says, I was looking through their guide, they say that the, the strong Kedem grape juice, um, you know, the, you know the, the purple grape juice, it's a, it's a pretty strong grape juice. According to the Star K, for sugar reasons, a person's permitted to dilute it 50-50 with water. And it would still count as one of the Dalit Kosos. Okay, you drink you could drink if your person's sticking with grape juice, you could dilute that purple Kedem grape juice 50-50 with water and still fulfill uh, still fulfill the mitzvah. Okay, that you know that's what deals with the measurements of the cups. 
ideally, a, if possible, a person should not pour their own cup. It's a sign of royalty to have somebody else pour your cup. So, you know, the custom is that, uh, you know, everybody should pour for the next person. This way, I, I was treated like royalty, you were treated like royalty, so on and so forth. There's nobody else to pour the cup, the Seder. That's fine, too. But if, you know, you know if, if there, you have that possibility, that's the proper way to, uh, to go about it. Everyone has their own cup now, right? We said everybody's got their own cup. But who makes Kiddush? There's two customs. Either the head of the household makes Kiddush and everybody else answers Amen, or everybody says Kiddush together. Okay? Those are the two uh, customs. Now, while we drink the cup, we lean on our left side for two reasons. First of all, because that the right hand will be available to pour into our mouths. I'm leaning on my left, so my right hand is now available. The second reason is so the food, we don't want the food to enter the windpipe instead of the esophagus. Now, this second reason is the crucial one because since it's for health purposes that we lean on our left, even a lefty, a left-handed person, also is obligated to lean on his left even though he's not comfortable pouring with his right hand. Okay? Because of this, uh, because of this health reason. Now, here's something which is very interesting that people are not aware of. And that is that Ashkenazic women never accepted the custom to lean in mass. So really, an Ashkenazic woman is not obligated to lean. When she drinks the four cups of wine, they never accepted it upon themselves as an obligation. Okay? Now, of course, a woman may, uh, may lean. Ramesha Feinstein writes that a woman should lean, still should lean, despite the fact that they didn't uh, that they uh, that they didn't accept it because this is the way that we're at the seder we show royalty, right? And we we should, a person should do it in a uh, uh, the most comfortable way. Women who follow Sephardic customs have accepted upon themselves the custom to lean, and therefore they should do so. Okay, therefore the uh, 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 Sephardic women are really obligated as far as the minig is concerned, and Ashkenazic women they're not obligated as far as the leaning. Is concerned. Okay. Um, after Kadesh, we don't drink anything besides for water until the second cup is uh, the, the second cup of wine is drunk. So in between the first and second cup, person should really not be drinking um, any further wine. That ends Kadesh. Let's move on to Orchatz, and I'm going to start moving a little faster. We're already at 50 minutes. I'm going to start moving a, a little faster to cover the rest of the Seder and then hopefully uh, discuss some fascinating halachas that many of us are not familiar with concerning how to conduct ourselves on Cholomite. Here we go. Orchatz. We wash our hands without a bracha. Why do we wash our hands without a bracha? Where does that come from? So in the times of the Beis Hamikdash, where they had the highest standards of purity, there was halacha that any time a person uh, had wet ha- anytime a person had a vegetable or food that was dipped into water, you had to be concerned about impurity. There's a dispute in halacha whether this applies nowadays. Bottom line is there's no halacha about this nowadays, but everybody still agrees that at the Seder, we should do this old halacha that there used to be in the Beis HaMikdash so that to arouse the curiosity of the children, everybody at the table would be like, what are you doing? You don't, you don't dip the whole year. Why, why are you washing your hands out a blessing to dip? And this can lead to the story of... Yitzias Mitzrayim, the head of the household, 
uh, if possible, instead of getting up to go wash the, their hands, should have the, wa- the water brought to them. Now we move on to carpas, okay, to dip the vegetable into salt water. Any vegetable that of the blessing is bore prihadama is permitted to be used as carpas. As long as it's not a maror vegetable, lettuce, horseradish, anything in the maror family cannot be used for karpas. Otherwise, you're fulfilling your mitzvah of maror too early. Okay? So it has to be something else besides for lettuce or horseradish that's dipped into salt, salt water. It seems many people use potatoes, celery, carrots. You're, uh, according to Allah, you could use any vegetable dipped into salt water as long as it's hadama. And it's not fit for murder. Okay. Um, so we, we take this vegetable, we dip it into salt water. Some people have accustomed to dip it into vinegar. That's fine too. And um, usually manners tell us to use a fork, right? Take a fork, stick it into the veggie, and then dip it in. Here, we shouldn't do that. You should have a lot of, you should rather cut big pieces of vegetable and when you dip it into the water, don't use a fork. Because again, what's the whole reason for the karpas? Because in the times of the Beis HaMikdash, when they would handle vet, uh, their, their food and dip it into water, they would have to wash their hands. So if you're using a fork, it's totally different than the way it was in the Beis HaMikdash. So obviously you've got to be concerned about hygiene. Cut a very long piece of celery. Cut a very big piece of potato. But ideally... You know, uh, even though usually manners dictate not to use a fork, uh, to, to use a fork, here it would really be appropriate for a person to use their hand as they dip it into the salt water. We know the karpas represents the the samach parach, the six hundred thousand people who worked, and the salt water and their vinegar is symbolic of the tears of the Jewish people in Mitzrayim in Egypt and our suffering. Now, when we make the blessing of Hadama before eating the vegetable, keep in mind that it should also apply to the maror, because the maror is going to be eaten before the meal. Okay? So keep in mind that the bari priyadama should apply to the maror as well. There's different custom as to whether people recline when they eat the karpas. Do I recline? I know I recline when I drink the wine. What about the, what about, what about the karpas? There's different customs. Okay, it seems the prevailing custom, and I saw this in the Sefer of Rav Shimon Eider, is that one should recline for karpas unless they know that their family never did it. Okay, if a person's family never reclined for karpas, don't recline for karpas. But if a person's like unsure, he's, he seems to say that it would be appropriate to recline. After karpas, we break the middle matzah. That's called yachatz. What's yachatz? We break the middle matzah. The larger pieces put away to later be used as the afikomen. Um, there's some people have a custom for the kids to go find the afikomen. Some people have a custom for the adults to find the afikomen. All right. The whole point, it, it's a game. All right. And the whole point of the game is just to keep everybody awake through the Seder. It's not for the game of afikomen. It's something to do at the Seder where I take it from you, you take it from me, and you get a present. It's to keep the Seder entertaining so that people remain awake and we can fulfill our mitzvahs. We break the middle matzah. Now, there's two matzahs left because, as we know, when a person makes hamotzi on Yom Tif, you're supposed to have two complete loaves. So we're supposed to have two complete matzahs. So we have three matzahs at the Seder. Why? Because one's going to break. So I need to have two remaining for, uh, to make a blessing on at my meal. We, take, we put away the bigger piece and we hold the smaller piece in our hand and now we begin reciting the Haggadah 
what's called Magid. And we recite it while we have the smaller piece of matzah. Now, Magid is the story of the Exodus. It's the story of Etzias Mitzrayim. We should keep in mind we're fulfilling the mitzvah, the orisa, the biblical obligation of telling over this story. Um, the Shulchan Aruch says that when we recite the Magid, a person should move the Seder plate, which has the food on it, to the end of the table. This way it looks like we're finished eating and the children are going to ask, why are you moving the food away? That's ridiculous. We haven't even started eating. Come on. And we're going to say, oh, you know why we're moving the food away? Because I've got a story to tell you. Yeah, and here we go. Here's the story of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. The children, if there are children at the table, ask the Manashtana. If there are no children at the table, the wife asks the Manashtana. A person themselves should ask the Manashtana. And my family Seder, my father would give a chance to all the kids, and then all the adults said it together as well. And my father, Zechariah was said over that when he was learning in Lakewood by Rabbaran, Rabbaran and his Rebetzin had the Seder with the yeshiva, and Rebetzin Cutler got up. Uh, I don't know if she stood up or what, but Rebetzin Cutler out loud in front of the Eilam, in front of the yeshiva guys, recited, uh, recited the Manashtana. Okay? Now, I saw a beautiful idea um, explained by Rabbi Ilan Feldman, who's a rav in Atlanta, he says, why, if somebody's having a Seder alone, do you recite Manishtana? Why are you asking yourself questions? You're by yourself. He says a beautiful idea. He says, free people are permitted to ask. Servants are told to keep their mouth zipped. Don't ask questions, just do as I say. Since at the Pesach Seder, we're showing freedom and royalty. Everything should be done in a question-answer fashion, because it's the greatest uh, it's the greatest symbol of being a ben choran, greatest symbol of freedom. Servants have no right to ask questions. This is why everybody should be asking questions. Okay, after the manashtana, we put the seder plate back to where it was, and we recite, we recite avodah Ayinu. We start telling over the story about how we were a mitzrayim, different customs again. Some have a custom, the head of the Seder uh, recites everything. Some people have a custom that everybody recites it together. During Magid, there are 16 times where we use our finger to displace the wine. Um, uh, and we, the reason why we use our finger and we dip it in to move the, the drops from the cup is because it, that is recalling the sorcerers in e- Egypt. Egypt was full of magic, full of sorcery. And that is the sorcerers of Egypt, the magicians in Egypt, um, admitted that all of the plagues were etzba elokimhi, was the finger of God. And therefore, when we recite the plagues, we use our finger and displace a little bit of wine to recall that even the sorcerers in Egypt reached a level where they recognized that everything is from Hashem. Now, although ideally... People should remain present uh, throughout the Haggadah, as we've learned recently in Dafyomi. Uh, that's not always the case. People doze off uh, during the Pesach Seder. Some things don't change, apparently. Uh, we had it in the times of the Beis HaMikdash, and it applies now as well. So, you know, we should try to be there for as much as the, as the, of the Haggadah as possible. But if a person's tired, they have to walk away from the table, whatever it is. And I'm not talking about kids. I'm talking about adults now. Um, at minimum, a person's you'll, you'll, when you look into your Haggadah, you'll see towards the end of Magid, there's a paragraph of Reban Gamliel Omer. 
Rabban Gamliel says, okay, and that's the Pesach, Matzah, and Maror, at least people should be present from Rabbi Gamliel Omer through the drinking of the second cup. And at minimum, to fulfill the mitzvah, one must say Pesach, Matzah, and Maror along with the reasons. So those are three short paragraphs. And at minimum, that's how we get our mitzvah of Magid. Everything else would be ideal, but, you know, it's, uh, it's extras. All right, that, that's Magid. After Magid, the next part of the Seder is Rachza. This time we wash our hands, we make a bracha. Why are we washing our hands? We washed it at the beginning of the Seder. The answer is because we're concerned we may have touched something that would obligate us in a new blessing, okay, in, in a new bracha. Fine. So we wash our hands with a blessing, and now it's time to eat the matzah. What do we do? So the head of the Seder picks up the two complete matzahs along with the broken matzah. And he makes the bracha of hamotzi. Then you drop the whole bottom matzah and you make a bracha of, first you make hamotzi, then you drop the bottom matzah and you make a bracha of alachilas matzah. Okay? Because now it's being made on a broken matzah and a whole one. So all considerations are taken care of. What do you mean? We know that for yomtiv we need two complete ones. At the same time, there's a question if alachilas matzah should be said on a whole matzah or the broken one. It's like this, you fulfilled everything. We held all three, we had two whole ones by, by uh, hamotzi. Drop one of the whole ones, now I still have a whole one and a half one that I'm saying by alachilas matzah, we covered all opinions. How much matzah do you need to eat now? How much matzah must be eaten? So here we go. According to Rabbi Heidemann and the Star K, one-third of a hand matzah or one-half of a square machine matzah. And he says, Rabbi Heidemann holds that in case of a medical condition, it's half of that. So we said like one-third of a hand matzah is ideal. Then if you have a medical condition, you can't get it down, whatever it is, various reasons, health, you can eat a third, I'm sorry, a sixth. A healthy person should eat a third. A person, a person who has other should eat a sixth, half of that of a ham matzah, or a quarter of a square matzah. If a person cannot bite matzah, a person can't eat matzah, so you can use shmura matzah meal, compacted into 1.5 ounces. 1.5 ounces of compacted shmura matzah meal also can allow a person to fulfill their mitzvah. We recline when we eat the matzah. And it's also brought down that from the time we wash for, for moti matzah, we're now going to go into maror and then have the sandwich. A person should not speak things that are unnecessary, things that don't have to do with the Seder. It's not the proper time to schmooze because we're kind of starting our mitzvah now of matzah, maror, and then the matzah and mar. So what's with the mar? So we eat a minimum of amount of mar two times during the Seder, both by achilas mar, and then we're going to have the korech sandwich. If one is using pure ground horseradish, you need 1.1 ounces of pure horseradish um, for the mitzvah of marar. However, when you're going to eat the mar with the matzah, if you're only going to use horseradish, you need 0.7 ounces of pure horseradish. If a person's using romaine lettuce, how much romaine lettuce do you need to eat? It's the amount that covers an 8 by 10 area. Okay? 8 inches by 10 inches. Without the stalks. Stalks are thicker. 
So if you use stalks, you need less. Picture romaine leaves. The romaine leaves need to cover an 8 by 10 uh, 8 by 10 area. Now we know there's a custom to dip the mar into charosas. A lot of people love charosas. Other people don't like charosas. But if you like charosas, make sure you can still taste the mar. You're not eating charosas that has mar in it. You're eating marar that has some charosas on it. You want to eat more charosas later? Gesundheit. hate. Eat as much as you want. But make sure at the time that you're eating the marar that the taste of the charosas does not overpower uh, the mars. If you dip it in, you know, whatever, it, it, would be, it would be proper to go shake it off. Okay, shake off the charosas as much as possible so you taste the mar. After you eat your matzah and you eat your mar. So now we make the matzah marar sandwich which in our, in our times, I'm not sure why it's even called a sandwich. The sandwich lasts for a total of four seconds, right? You take one bite, and it's no longer a sandwich. That's it. It's on the floor. It's not around anymore, okay? Now, uh, again, we, we came across this in Dafyomi, and the word korech actually means a wrap. I believe Sephardim have this, but their matzahs used to be like lafas, you know, like like shawarma lafas. They made it, no, no reason why not. There's no reason why you can't have a soft lap. But, you know, for us, our custom is to do it harder and make sure that it's completely baked and whatever it is for us Ashkenazim. But the word korech does not mean sandwich. The word korech means wrapped. Hillel used to wrap his carbon Pesach meat, his lamb chops, with his marar, with his romaine lettuce, and his wrap. That was his matzah. See, he mamish had a shawarma, a lamb chop shawarma. And that's, what, that's how Hillel ate his korech. It was a wrap. Nowadays, we don't have that, right? So we just eat our, we, we have our, our matzah and our mar together. The reason why we eat it as a sandwich is because the gemara brings a dispute. Nowadays, between Hillel and other sages, whether nowadays it should be the matzah, then the mar, or it should be the matzah with the mar. So at the Seder, we're basically covering our, all, all of our bases. We eat the matzah, we eat the mar, and then the matzah with the mar. And now we've covered... All, uh, all opinions, there's different customs as to whether you dip the sandwich into charosas, and we do recline. There is reclining. The same way we recline my matzah, it is proper to recline during korech. Okay. Then we get to the meal. Then we get to shochanorech. A person should not eat or drink excessively during the meal. We need to leave room for the afikomen. Um, and another reason is, is because if we eat a lot uh, during the meal, it's going to make us very tired and drowsy before we've even uh, completed the drinking of the four cups or recited halal. Many people have a custom to eat an egg at the Seder, which is a sign of, of uh, mourning. This is because the Seder night always falls out the same night as Tisha B'Av. Okay, so notice that. If the Seder night is falling out on a Matzah Shabbos, that means Tisha B'Av of that year falls out on a Matzah Shabbos and a Sunday. Now, eating, uh, eating this egg at the Seder is not a halacha. It's a custom that some people have. There's a general custom as well not to eat anything roasted at the Pesach Seder, meat or chicken. Uh, if it has, a, if it has a gravy, that's fine. Okay, if, it has, if there's gravy, it's fine. But like dried out meat, there's a custom not to have it. Otherwise, it represents the carbon Pesach. Now, for people who are having a Seder with kids, kids get very restless. So there's a few things we'll talk about afterwards how to make a Seder exciting for kids. But keep in mind that while they're eating is probably the best time to tell them the story of Yitzhiya's Mitzrayim. 
And by kids, I mean kids of all ages. I don't mean kids uh, up until or through teenage years. I mean until 120. Very often, we're sitting down at the Pesach Seder. People's stomachs are rumbling. They're growling, you know, and they need some energy. Shochanor, very often, it would make a lot more sense to read through the Magid without the 7,000 Devrei Torah. And when you get the Shochanor, and people are taking their time with the soup or whatever you're eating, share, you know, a lot of the story of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. After we eat the meal, we have Tzafon, which is eating the Afikomen. Afikomen was the term that was used in those times for dessert. Now, once we eat Afikomen, that should be the last lingering taste that we have in our mouth. You shouldn't eat anything after Afikomen. As far as drinks is concerned, what about drinking things? It's permitted to drink things that are in the water family. So water, seltzer, things of that sort are permitted to drink after Afikomen. Other things that have stronger flavor would not be appropriate because that would remove the flavor of the Afikomen. After that, we bench. We have Birch HaSamazon, what's called Barech. Okay? And um, uh, even though during the year, if you have three men eating together, you have a Zimun, you honor other people. Over here, it's appropriate for the head of the household to lead the Zimun. And finally, we have the we have the, the third uh, mitzvah, Midrabanan, which is Halal, which is the last rabbinical mitzvah. And a person should recite Halal and drink the fourth cup. Now, if you have a Zimun, three men together, it's appropriate to recite It's appropriate to say it responsively, the same way that it is done in Shul. And then Nirza, as we explained, ends uh, Nirza ends off <coughs> the Seder with a, a number of Nigunim, a number of songs that we sing that leads us into particular discussion of the coming of Mashiach. Those are the halachas of the Seder. That completes that section. And now...